a redneck motherfucker from Jacksonville. Oh, yeah. This song's dedicated to you, Ben Stiller. You are my favorite motherfucker. Don't know how to read, but I got a lot of toys. We are Hottest 100s and Thousands, and we have taken control of your radio station. This is the podcast in which we talk about the songs that have been deemed hot enough to be a part of the Triple J Hottest 100. My name is David James Young, and I'm one of the four voices you're going to be hearing for the next hour or so. Joining me once again, Mr. Nathan Harrison. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mr. Adam Puncher. Yeah, I haven't been first in a while, Dave. It's coming up. It's Everyone gets their turn. Have you rusted it? Have you properly rusted it? No, I haven't but fucking rusted probably it. Probably because what you mentioned think? it, like you bumped down to the bottom of the queue again. That didn't yeah. happen that way for Andrew, just yeah. saying. Well, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> Andrew's also here as well, thank yeah, you. Yeah, and Mr. Andrew <laughs> McDonald. Thank you, David. PhD. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> let's, let's, let's jump the gun on that one, please. Dr. Andrew <laughs> McDonald-esque. <laughs> We're talking about Green Day yet again. This is Brain Stew. We're already a fifth of the way through. OMG. I'm having trouble trying to sleep. I'm counting shit but running out. As time ticks by, still I try. As for cross tops in my mind On my own, here we go My eyes feel like they're gonna bleed Right up and bulging down my skull Dry, my face is numb. Something's falling out in my room. On my own, here we go. Green Day at number 80 in the 1995 Hottest 100 with Brain Stew. This is very interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, at number 99, we talked about one of the last singles from Dookie. Here, we are talking about the first single from the album that followed that, Insomniac. What a time to be alive. (laughs) (laughs) One saga ends and another begins for Green Day. It's a weird one, this one. This song runs perfectly in conjunction with the song that follows it, Jaded. Which I'm pretty sure was the included version. Yeah, um, so much so that they they made it... Because it's not in any of the documentation. But the, otherwise, it the was song, released as a single, like a dual single. But in everything about the hottest one hundred, it just says brainstorm. But you can't, yeah. the, you can't hear brainstorm on its mm. own. There's no release of brainstorm on its own. Mm. Like there's no like while they have sent out a radio single of just brainstorm. 
but why wouldn't like any of the Triple J lists just say Brain Stew slash Jaded? Mm. No idea. But they run into one another mm. in the music video and uh, on the track listing as well. Yeah. Who was there in 95? Give us a call. Yeah. What did they play? Yeah, for, for real though. Because no, for like, real though. Definitely like during the year they would have played them together because that's how it was released. Yeah. And it would be weird to not Play not, it like no that in the countdown. That. It would be weird to, to not have it as brain it suffers. jaded. In, yeah, brain, it brain stew on its own is not great. It's okay. Like, it's fine. It's but not as like, good, though. You don't like it, like, without jaded included? Yeah. Like, do you think that's the payoff? Yeah. In context of jaded as well, it's it's really good. I think it's context but of on jaded. on its own, it, it's just like this weird slow build up to nothing. I think it works. Uh, I think it works enough, but I definitely think with, with jaded it becomes amazing. Yeah. I yeah. think it goes up to that next level. It's inter- it's interesting that this song was uh, one that uh, it talks about uh, being in an insomniac and you know like kind of the shit that goes through your brain while you're trying to trying to get to sleep because growing up I had international super hits on tape and I would listen to that every night because I was a fucking Green Day obsessed little kid and this would be the song that got me to sleep <laughs> <laughs> just the just the da, 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 da. it's just like okay we're done here <laughs> oh, it's this, weird like, it wasn't it wasn't, wasn't an acoustic <laughs> number it wasn't time of your life or macy's day parade or anything like that it was this one and so when it got loud after when jaded kicked in i hadn't even noticed because i was asleep by that point no no oh, shut up Actually, um, I, I think this, this was this, this was one of the Green Day songs I never really got down with. Um, oh. I find that when but you heard it back in the day, yeah, yeah. Well, on international back super, in the on the same day. on the same compilation that David had, international sure. super hits, cool. uh, a, a great best of, um, fucking great. Best uh, but I, and I find that when punk music and pop punk even more so tries to tackle slower songs, the simplicity in the composition is exposed as boring to me. I've always thought this, even with like iconic slower punk songs even like by bands like the Ramones like Bear on the Brat for instance that they sound a bit boring it goes on too long and the jaded payoff for me isn't a big enough payoff if that wasn't there I'd be even more critical but the fact that it is there's a little bit of a payoff but it's a bit like it's too little too late for me this is one of the weaker Green Day singles in their output even up to and including the like up to and including American Idiot I will sit on the fucking floor <laughs> I think it was really interesting to hear this and hear the um, the brain stew into jaded thing because I th- I thought that Green Day only really did that multi part thing starting with American yeah. Idiot I thought mm. that was breaking new ground for them but it's like oh cool this is like proto American Idiot but I disagree I think it's a song about stages and anticipation and I think they handle it really really well and they do that very well as a three piece like the way they gradually introduce each element. Again, like Green Day being on their game back in the beginning, they've got certain elements to play with. Nothing is wasted. Everything is lean. Um, And I just see that happening. The first time you hear the song, you get a sense that something's going to happen. Then that something happens. And then any other listen that you have for the song is just anticipation and just getting geared up. It's like the drums are about to come in. There's the payoff of the drum. Ah, cool. And now we're just building up to Jade. We're building up to it getting looser now. And now we're building up to to Jaded, which is like the ultimate kind of payoff of the whole thing. I think the melody is just as good as a and serviceable as a pop punk melody as they have for any of the other tracks. I like that once again Green Day continuing to do their thing where they are talking about you know Billy Joe just kind of exercising his demons and doing that in a really comforting hey yeah. guys like I got this going on I'm just going to talk about it maybe you got that going on as well kind of thing. It fits into the other tracks we talked about Green Day really nicely and I think I enjoy it as a similar amount. Hmm. It's a bit darker okay. and a bit like yeah, like slower and a bit gloomier. And I think that a lot of uh, critics point to like 
that kind of mood on Insomniac as to why it wasn't a, like a commercially successful as Tuki. It was a kind of a big change for them, which is weird because it came so quickly off the back of Tuki. Yeah. Like, you know, we're dealing with the, the new stuff already and, it, you know, it's not even a year since the mm. first records come out. I don't the- know how many... Um- how many times it would have happened that a band gets in the hottest 100 for two entries off two different albums? It probably happens more than I think. Yeah. I mean, it kind of speaks more than the release of albums. Franz Ferdinand. The really staggered release of singles from an album. Yeah. Mm. As much as anything else. Like, you can put out an album and be releasing singles for a whole year. Mm. Well, it's like you see... And it's very um, easy for one then to be over the calendar year and into the next with, countdown. With pop yeah. artists in, even more so. Mm. So like a Katy Perry album will have singles that last a three-year period. Yeah, oh, Totally, yeah. Yeah, true. For me, at least, the strength of this single is releasing the dual song as one thing. I think that's pretty cool and like an interesting thing for a pop punk band to do. Yeah. I think like the songwriting's good. It just doesn't grab me as much as their other songs and, and certainly Brain Stew on its own doesn't do it for me. But I, I'm happy to, to hope and believe that they were played together in the countdown. I did try and find out yeah. when it wasn't oh, on any a, list. That's just a hard thing to find out. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, but it is certainly, as you say, really strange that the notation doesn't show that. Yeah. I guess we'll never know. I hope we know. I hope we find <laughs> out. We need our music mole. Once again, the call out for our Triple J music mole. Mm. He is the music mole. <laughs> At number 79, it is Supergrass with All Right. <laughs> Number 79 with the song All Right. Andrew McDonald, are we like you? I, I can't be sure. The only way I can be sure is asking you what you think of this song. Something about this song makes me feel like incredibly, like it's ill at ease. There's something. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I did not yeah. see that one coming. I, th- I kind of get it. I don't. So far. I don't think I hate the song, but I feel the sensation of hatred when I'm listening to this song. <laughs> something about me, like. I don't know. I, maybe it's just the fact that I remember hearing a lot of, like on Rage when it was first on. And I remember just thinking, this is not for me then when I was like younger. And maybe I'm carrying hangovers with that. But like, there's something about it that I just fucking... Like the smarminess, I fucking loathe. The like, we are young, we get by. Like, sounds like a group of lads who have never had a hard day in their lives. 
moaning about not having enough cash to go to the football or something. Video irks me as well because of 3.30am rage, insomnia. Everything about the song individually is not bad. There's nothing offensive or like cringeworthy or crappy sounding. I like I always like piano in rock songs. Mm. Um, I don't mind the kind of British poppiness of it all as well. It works enough. Yeah. There's just something about it. I think it just comes across as smarm. I feel like I'm going to put you under hypnotherapy and just like dig deep <laughs> into your past. And find, find the root of the uh, trauma. Find, yeah. <laughs> uh, go on an incredible voyage into Andrew's mind. If, <laughs> if I'd never heard this and someone played it for me and said, this is a parody of a Britpop song, I would be like, oh yeah, sure. Okay. Right. There's something oh, like illegitimate that. about it. And like, I, it just, it feels like weirdly insincere or... I don't know. It's weird. Like, I don't hate it, but I, I also weird, don't know how to come to it and think critically of it. Because hmm. I'm like, is it a joke? It doesn't like, sound genuine, but I'm sure it is. Yeah. The thing. Like, it, yeah, that's the thing. It sounds like, you know how Weird Al has his style parodies? Yeah. Like, this would be a style parody of Britpop. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah, exactly. What may explain both points that both of you have brought across is the fact that it was written when the lead singer was 19 about being 14. I know. And I, I love that all of the press was like, this is such an anthem for 19-year-olds who are like... Dealing with all the troubles for youth in Britain in the 90s, which is obviously what, like, all the yeah. other Britpop bands are. And they're like, no, this is about being 13 and, like, finding out about girls well, and, yeah, and drug, alcohol. Drugs and girls. This is yeah. like, well, of course it is. Like, yeah. ever since I thought to myself, it's like a happy version of Clockwork Orange. It's kind of also sat really ill at ease with me. I don't know. It's like if Clockwork Orange were a comedy, this would kind of be the theme song to it. Yeah, it, like then, it's, <laughs> it's certainly like manically happy. Yeah. I don't you know. know. I mean? it's, it's a bit too droogy. It's just weird. I don't know, like... I can't. I can't put my finger on not liking it. I don't yeah. even think I don't like it. It's just weird. Mm. You don't think it's weird? I'm not like you. And now, <laughs> I, now I can be sure. I was not expecting that overwhelmingly negative reaction to this song at all. To me, this has been one of those songs on the par of like Heya, where like everyone knows it and everyone likes it. I've never come across this kind of negative reaction to this song in my entire life. But I don't even I don't even dislike it. I just I'm just unsure about it. I like I wouldn't I wouldn't turn my back to this song for fear of something happening because I just don't trust the boo style. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I actually don't hate it either. I'm gonna say I don't share your negativity. I think it's a pretty cool pop song I don't see it as much of a Britpop parody but I think that's a fair point of view like to the point where I just like I I maybe agree with that statement a certain percentage but I also think at the same time it's also not that it also is just a Britpop song it is just it is just what it is it is just like maybe it's just like writing what you're what you know is sometimes you can write something you know too much and then it kind of puts people off I don't know what it is maybe they're just too close to to being young lads and it's just kind of it lacks any kind of depth for that it certainly has no you depth I mean? like it's it's like Which, but i think that's but okay. it does, it does, just come into this song no, for no. any degree of depth yeah. no no no, 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 no yeah, yeah yeah but that, that that's just why like i just don't know how to engage with it because i'm like is this like it just it could be a joke and and you wouldn't have to do anything different for that to be a joke song um i don't know it's just weird like i think I, if you stripped away the lyrics and the you just look at it for the sounds and the melodies. It's it's quite good. Like the honky tonk piano is awesome, and like even the way he kind of slides up at the end of the choruses, I kind of like. I, I also get the the idea of like flipping someone the finger but smiling about it, or like you know. I think actually when you said like about the going the up, not terrible. that's something else I realize don't now that I don't like about it. Getting to the root of your problem. I don't, well, I, don't, I don't like when people do it. <laughs> like when someone talks and they finish the sentences with the upwards notion. Like, it's, a, like deal, it's a question. How did you deal when you were in London? What do you mean? Well, everyone does that. There's a lot of a lot of British accents end up. Oh, I didn't really feel that. Oh, um, okay. I, I guess I was hanging out with. Maybe just talk to with anyone. like 
old goth people who are just all miserable and aren't doing the upwards yeah, exactly. he was, hang- he was hanging out with the Robert Smith types they always go down at yeah. the end of yeah. their sentences that's always the down that's the way it's going exactly but, no I think that's something else they're, they're, we are young we get by that I don't like something else yeah pinpointing these things <laughs> I think I do hate the song <laughs> when I was a child there was someone who went up at the end of sentences <laughs> they kicked me in the balls really hard <laughs> um, it was my dad yeah yeah their, their leg went up at the end of their swing <laughs> wait a minute I hate supergrass because I hate my dad <laughs> yeah he kept beating me up saying supergrass supergrass <laughs> <laughs> I think I. All right. All right. All right. All right then. I was never all right. I was never all right. My dad is British. He does say all right as a hello. Yeah. Fuck you, Supergrass. Not not even. (laughs) Fuck you, me, for having a weird reaction with a fucking pop song. I think it's fun. I I had the ultimate. Oh my god, it's this song. I can't Mm. believe this was from '95. I thought it was older. Uh, that, was, that was that reaction. It's like timeless, but like like disease is timeless. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Fucking hell. I'm just saying things now. I don't even... It's, it's, I don't feel that strongly. It's timeless like cement is timeless. Yeah, that's better. You guys are brutal. No, it's... Yeah. Just I confu- think I'm being just confused. Mean. I'm lashing out in confusion. <laughs> yeah. You know, you might hurt yourself in your confusion. That's been known to happen in various battles. Mm. I've seen it happen. That's a... Deep Pokemon. Cut. Yeah, I, I mean, I picked up on it. Yeah. but I don't know how many other people would have realized that you're you're. It's probably worth you having said that. Yeah, yeah. Like, or, 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 or you could have just played the. Wait, I'll show you who's the king of this gym. Call me short boy. Oh my god. Okay, can I talk now? Please. Have you guys? Um, I was hoping someone would cut me off. Yeah. Right, I was talking about like, disease and <laughs> no. If there's one we thing I'm to trauma. Of trauma too, you know, we need to, we need to get could be a, like a group therapy session now. <laughs> I've realised that uh, on this podcast, I have the sixth power from uh, Captain Planet that was never talked about. So you had uh, Earth, Fire, Wind, Water, Heart, and getting interrupted. <laughs> but you also have Heart. The worst of the five. <laughs> Hide! Well, now it's the two worst of the six. Yeah. <laughs> you know what they say? Two out of six is good. <laughs> yeah, that's a meatloaf B side. <laughs> to me, Supergrass are one of the most underrated bands of their time. They never got the credit that was due to them, that was given to your Blurs and Oasises, despite the fact they wrote several songs that were on par and occasionally better. All right, pumping on your stereo, Mary, St. Petersburg, Low C, um, going out. Uh, they had some incredible songs, some great records. Whoa, you're f- you're a supergrass fan. Yeah, I've yeah, I've I've been listening to them for over ten years. Like they've been a part of my life for a very long time. Are they still around? Uh, they split up about five years ago. Um, Gaz Coombs, their lead singer, still uh, tours. Uh, he's put out a couple of solo records uh, in the wake of their split. 2010, they split up in. And uh, in that time, they put out like seven albums, I think. And they were always trying to do s- different stuff as well. And I commended them for that. All Oasis tried to do after Morning Glory and Be An Hour, whatever the fuck, was recapture that glory and try and, you know, get back into that sort of thing. Whereas Supergrass were always just like, okay, we've done that. 
let's see what we can do this time. They did, like, a whole, like, very stripped back, very acoustically oriented, like, uh, folk record, which was really, really cool. They did, like, a straight-up rock record, which was much more, like, Rolling Stones than Stone Roses, so to speak. Hmm. They were, yeah, just a really interesting band that were always trying new things. They had a couple of, you know, like, super, like, funk pop Beck sort of songs. Like, they were really diverse bands. As far as this song is concerned, I have always just known this song as one of those feel-good British pop anthems. Ones that, you know, that's the windows down song. That's the song that everyone, you know, sings along to in the car. Maybe, like, it's the unadulterated, unironic joy that comes with that song that people associate it with. That that might be why Andrew hates it so much. Maybe that's it, yeah. Maybe. We can't stand unadulterated, unironic joy. Yeah. So, <laughs> and which is which explains why you guys hate me so much and always interrupt me. But yeah, like, there's a reason this has been used in heaps of ads and soundtracks and stuff like that. It's just uh, one of those... That might be another reason why Andrew hates it. Oh, that could well be it. Do you hate Clueless? The movie. Mm. No, not at all. No, the state of being. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do you hate me for being so clueless for liking Supergrass? No, again, not at all. <laughs> You're the clueless movies that people I quite like. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> Means I'm filled with a young Paul Rudd, which works for me. You, you can say Paul Rudd, man. It's always young Paul Rudd. Oh, yeah, that's true. That guy's got Pharrell disease. It's a great disease. It's a great disease. Vampirism. <laughs> Excellent disease. <laughs> well, I think considering that I was on the fence, I think I am leaning more towards David's side of the fence. To, really? To be okay. honest. After, well, after hearing everyone's points, I just, I just and getting think... to the bottom of Andrew's very personal trauma. <laughs> We've grown I just, a lot. I just always, I've just always had a soft spot for this song. Like, I understand that, you know, it, it ended up being, like, their Wonderwall or their Song 2 or whatever have you, where they, like, they couldn't escape it. Mm. But, you know, they still played it right up to when they were splitting up. They still were happy to, you know, just throw it on. It's it's a jukebox song, you know. Everyone was just like, oh, yeah, this one, you know. It's a, it's a big sing-along, and... It can ruin songs. It ruins Wonderwall. It ruins Don't Look Back in Anger. It ruins Song 2. So on and so forth. But, yeah, my point stands. I think there's a lot of love and a lot of great spirit in this song. So Mm. that's why I enjoy it so much. And I just always thought it was one of those generally agreed-upon liked songs. So to... It's actually kind of been eye-opening to have, like, a, a very adverse reaction to this song. I've never had that before. I don't even particularly dislike it, though. I think I'm, I'm just so used to it, like, it's just this weird cultural thing that I never engage with as a song by a band. Like, I, you know, might hear it on the radio, but more often than not, you hear it in a movie or on, on a TV show ad or whatever, like, mm. or just, like, mm. as a sample or something. And so, like, having to deal with it as a song is just strange, and I just don't, I don't know. And that's why I don't trust it. You also mentioned culture, and I think, again, it's like uh, what I kind of said about Park Life when we talked about Park Life before. I think it's a very different listening to this song as a British person mm. to listening to it as a non-British person. And I don't know whether it's like uh, what, what it changes, because I'm not British. I don't think it has that level of Britishness as important to its being as much as Park Life does. Can you say that as, as a non-British person? As, as someone with like British family, I have a, a foot in the door. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Hey, you're right then. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. All right. <laughs> We're all right. It is all right, and everyone did agree. <laughs> At number seventy-eight, this is Straw People. It's called Trick with a Knife. It's a 
about the time that it's about the time that it's about the it's about the time that it's about the time that it's about the it's about the time that it's about the time that it's about the it's about the time that it's about the time that it's about the People at number 78 in the 1995 Hottest 100. That was called Trick with a Knife. And when I think about tricks, knives, and various trickery that comes with knifery, I think of Nathan Harrison. Well, who doesn't? Yeah, I know, right? Mm. Yeah. Back in your uh, your circus days. Yeah. After your raver days. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was before. That was... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get my name. I got out of the circus mm. by getting into the rave circuit. Motherfucker is dangerous with a yeah. switchblade. Yeah. I will tell That's you it. that much. This song features um, Fiona McDonald from the Hitless Chickens. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah. I thought... Yeah. I yeah. DK Spiracy. Okay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that this, this song actually reminded me of the second Headless Chicken song that we were talking about that wasn't uh, Choppers. Yeah. I can't remember what it the It certainly wasn't was. Choppers. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> choppers. <laughs> fuck, that song sucked. Uh-huh. This, um, song, it, this song is slightly better. It, it's kind of nothingy. It is bit, nothingy, but it's though, slightly like, better than it was. Yeah, yeah. I think like the vocals themselves aren't bad, but I not feel... Beard. Not beard. But I feel... <laughs> I'm not even going to do that anymore. I, I feel that by having vocals and making the song that sort of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, the song suffers a lot from it. I think it would have been a better song if it was kind of just an instrumental sample heavy beat a, track. Like a, It was a real to me reminder that not everybody is Massive Attack. Yeah, yeah, right. Mm. It started okay with the samples and the beat came in. I was like, yeah, this is all right. But then it was like, all right, time for verse, chorus, verse, chorus. And, and it just didn't need that. I think it would probably still be an underwhelming song if it was just instrumental, but I think it would have been stronger and I would have listened, enjoyed listening to it more. Fiona's not doing a bad job, but it just compositionally doesn't hold together, I think. I don't know how to even view it critically, to be honest. It's just so, like, middling trip-hop. It's creamy enough production and her vocals is fine and the songwriting is fine, so the whole thing's just a bit fine. Like, it's a real classic opening band. Mm. Like, it's all right. It made me realise that at this point in the 90s, there would have been hundreds of trip-hop bands that we're not really aware of because only a bunch of them made it through. Uh. But like at the start of any genre, you remember like when Muse happened and then for like the next five years, every shitty local band was just trying to be Muse. 110% and, remember that shit. Yeah, right? Like, and and it, Muse it, just came from wanting to be fucking Radiohead. Yeah. So but like, fucking, yeah. There, there must have been so much middle-of-the-road pedestrian trip-hop trip hop you mean on the, on the local scene and the just everywhere yeah, like right. yeah, fucking everywhere and but but like it's just not something you really th- or at least that i really think about because particular trip hop artists have made it through and are still like we listen to and talk about now mm. um mm-hmm. but yeah this i don't know like it's it's not terrible it's just a bit middling i really don't have much to add i kind of just feel the exact same way i listen to it 
within the last kind of three hours and I don't remember it at all. Yeah. <laughs> the samples at the start, I was like, oh, this might be all right. But then it just started. Oh, I remember yeah, it. I was yeah. like, yeah. Some, actually, actually no. have that. Um, the sample is uh, Don't Look Any Further by Dennis Edwards. Yeah. And it's the same drum beat that was used in In the Neighbourhood. Oh, yeah, oh. New Zealand S- has one drumbeat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Conspiracy. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's possibly a, a dankest maze. <laughs> Danky Kong. <laughs> Danky Kong. <laughs> thank you, thank you. But yeah, um, so the drum sample is just sped up. And, yeah, and used in this new context. And it would arise eight years later when the same drumbeat was sampled by The Herd for 77%. Wow. Uh, which yeah. also sampled that, uh, the, the bass line from this song as well. Which was, uh, they all got the sample from uh, Paid in Full by Eric B. and Rakim. Huh. Of course. They yeah, should course. make a Netflix drama about that sample and its adventures yeah. in history. Yeah. Did you guys hear about the guy who played the Amen break recently? Yeah. Yeah, and he finally got paid for yeah. it after all this time. <laughs> it's like, fuck yeah. The, the Winstons. Pay yeah. them double, yeah. pay them now. They fucking earned that shit. But yeah, apart from that little bit of trivia, I What's have... What's the amen? Break? You know the break. I'll, I'll play it for you. It's a really, it's a really, really famous... It's the most ample piece of music in history. It, and the guy never got... It. No, it was a B-side to a 60s soul track. It was just a misc thing that got appropriated, and then eventually... That's the amen break. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and, if you go and, on the Who sampled of that, you'll have a fucking field day. Okay, so there, there, there would be really big like YouTube videos as well, breaking down heaps of samples. Like, yeah. What? Well, so the story is that he never got credited or like. Uh, yeah, because the reason that it's sample is because it was included on a sample compilation disc. Right. Yeah, but there's okay. a really good um 20 minute audio documentary of the mm. thing on YouTube. Oh, cool. But the actual song is like a soul. It's actually a jam, eh? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Cool. Like yeah when you hear act- funky drummer for the first time. Pretty good. Mm. Yeah. Pretty good. Okay. 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 Um. Yeah, so it's... Apart from that little bit of trivia, I honestly don't have... Much to say. I, I do find it funny that I was just like, oh, this reminds me of Headless Chickens. And then you were just like, it's old mate from Headless Chickens. Mm. I was just like, ah, <laughs> yeah, for what well. I understand, it was like a bit, a bit of a rotating roster of the who's who of New Zealand um, kind of pop scene at that time. <laughs> I like to think that this was the song that Lord was conceived to. Shit, <laughs> 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 the, the timing is right. <laughs> We need our music mall. <laughs> it's a pretty Climb deep mall. <laughs> but yeah, like a, a rotating roster of kind of people at this time. Is that as in the music lineup. the music scene or uh, this this group? This group. The straw people. The straw people. Hence the name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. It was a duo and then they had a rotating list of okay. various guest vocalists. Sure. Which is kind of a cool thing. Mm. You know, I don't, yeah. They certainly are a la Massive Attack <laughs> in many ways. Yeah. Well. Right. That's that. That's that. <laughs> Moving on. Okay. What else we got? At number 77, it's the return of the severed heads. This is Heart of the Party.
Heads at number 77 uh, with a song called Heart of the Party, a far cry uh, from their high-reaching number 10 position in our previous countdown. Adam, mm. diminishing returns? Dim- uh, I think the last song was an example of why DIY Electro can be really cool. This is an example, I think, of why DOI Electro cannot really work. Because I feel like when, you, when you're taking care of your own music a little bit, sometimes it pays to have someone else come in and kind of like go, um, maybe this could be a bit different, maybe that could be a bit different. Because I, I think Somewhere In Here is a pretty cool song. And I think some of, the, some of the aspects of it are pretty nice, but it does need a lot more workshopping. It feels unfinished, it feels like a demo. Like, number one, change the vocalist. Like, yeah, is that one of the seven heads singing? I think it is. Maybe yeah. they should. If they got someone else in, maybe that's they shouldn't staggering. do that. Yeah, I don't think they got someone. else No, like that's the thing. So it's just like he sounds like Bernard Sumner from uh, New Order. Mm. And Bernard Sumner from New Order isn't a great singer to begin with. No, you wouldn't uh, like guest vox him in, especially no. if, if without the name. Yeah, totally. <laughs> we yeah, get, we'll guest vox him under a pseudonym. Yeah, <laughs> Jack White, uh, Electric Six style. Uh, uh, what? Yes. what happened there? In Danger High Voltage, it's Jack White doing the guest vocals, and they didn't oh. reveal it for like a decade or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. There's a few other like, kind of just general sounds in there. It's just kind of like you could have dug a bit deeper, found a better sample, found a bit of a better synth, a better thing to use there. And like if you made a few changes, like there is some cool stuff. As I said, there's some cool stuff that I like the airy synths. I'm a bit of a fan of airy synths. I've discovered since doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think the change that comes midway is pretty good. Like it adds some nice dimensions. Uh, but it that just sounds... lyric is fucking terrible. That what, sorry? Uh, the lyric? Yeah. There's um, a few lyrics that aren't great. That should be workshopped as well. Whatever, whatever that first... Like, like, Who will tell my drunken friend? Yeah. yeah it's fucking That you're not shit. welcome at the party or some yeah. shit. That's just awful. It's not great. <laughs> yeah. So, like, okay. So, we, there's a feedback form that we're all filling out. information <laughs> listening to the song. And I'm just wondering why no one did that before it was released. And then how it beat Army of Me and uh, Grace. And lots of and things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, last time we talked about Severed Heads, I talked about, because I've listened to a couple of their albums mm. from, like, late 80s, and I liked them a lot because they were sort of weird industrial electronica kind of stuff. It was, like, it was really weird but good. And Dead Eyes Opened was was fine. It was I interesting. to this. Yeah, oh, hugely. This is, this is oh. weird. I but wasn't I, a fan last year, but no. uh, yeah. yeah that's I'm not fair. crazy for this one either, no. if I'm honest. But I, I feel like listening to this, I feel like I'm on the outside of like a subculture. I feel like this song is like hugely popular in like the queer community of like Sydney in the early 90s or something. Maybe. Or, or I'll what, ask Paul Mack if Well, yeah, maybe. It, so. but, but just something like that. Like maybe not that. But I, I feel like it's particularly yeah. popular with a group of people. And because I'm not part of that and it's 20 years on, I have no into the song. It's positioning and stuff makes me think that people, yeah. well, people obviously liked it. I, I kind of give a name a... to a vibe that I kind of got from it as well. And I think like it, it only really functions now as a kind of museum piece. Mm. And, it, and even then it's like a museum piece as a bit of an oddity. It's like a Ripley's Believe It or Not kind of museum. <laughs> huh. I think it's in, in here like as a vote with your heart, not with your ears. Like people like Severed Heads. Yeah. Vote for a Severed Heads song. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that could be it. They're likable because, as I said, like their bio of, of doing it all themselves and releasing all their stuff. You know, like you know, releasing songs on the back of pigeons and you know, like that kind of obscure way of uh, releasing stuff. But not, but not I I, I totally see is like one step away from pigeon speakers. <laughs> but they, you know, they, and they had like a huge underground following and all that stuff. And yeah. I can so- totally see this being a significant thing in like Sydney clubs. 
1995. Very and that just does not translate right now. No. Maybe the song would have sounded better as an MP2. <laughs> <laughs> on the back of a pigeon on a tiny <laughs> yeah. speaker. No yeah. doubt, no doubt. Mm. At number 76, this is Bad Religion with 21st Century Digital Boy. Religion at number 76 with 21st century digital boy. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, now in a vein similar to that of when we spoke about Tism, Mr. Adam no. Buncher and I are going to move away from our microphones for a matter of minutes to let Mr. Andrew McDonald and Mr. Nathan Harrison talk shop on bad religion on three. One, two, three. Three. Welcome to the stage. Okay, but but just to be clear, like I I, I haven't asked for this. And, like, and no, no, this, no. I I've I've, I've requested. It's this. what Gotham deserves. This isn't yeah. like a as hero, notable but... a love. <laughs> no, like we're both big fans of Bad Religion. You, I mean, you in particular, though, yeah, your favorite punk band for many years. For, yeah, solid like four or five years or something. Like end of high school, Bad Religion was like all I listened to. I love them so much. They are. You followed them around the country when they. Did I did. Yeah. I did. I drove uh, in a car from Sydney to Melbourne to Adelaide and back to Sydney. With someone else, but he couldn't drive. So it was a lot of driving hours. Yeah. I love Bad Religion for for many years. They're a very uh, intelligent and particularly wordy punk band. That's kind of one of their appeals. Yeah. If you're into that kind of thing. If you're not, then you're like, who the fuck are these wankers? They also, like, they're a very good punk band, but they have traditionally amazing harmonies. That's kind of... The other notable thing about them. Yeah, Yeah. sort of Greg Graffin, the singer, has a fairly gravelly voice or whatever, but they do their oohs and ahs and have all these amazing four-part harmonies and stuff, everyone in the band singing, and it's very epic. Uh, This song featured on... Well, it was on the 1990 album Against the Grain. Mm. One of of their finest records. Absolutely. And then when they were getting ready to release Stranger Than Fiction in 1994, their new label Atlantic, because this was at a point where they were becoming more commercial, they toured with Pearl Jam that year, I think, oh, yeah. which is weird. Mm. Um, kind of just riding off the pop punk popularity thing, except moving into more of an alt rock thing. It was weird. And then they made a whole bunch of really awful albums. But 
Atlantic said that there was no single on that album, which is weird because there's some good songs on that album. And so Brett, the guitarist who also is the owner and manager of Epitaph Records, yes. uh, who do Offspring mm-hmm. among other other bands, I mean, and, 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 and a total a total businessman as well. Like not yeah. to, not not to discredit his songwriting abilities or his guitar playing abilities, but he is a businessman. Yeah, absolutely. He was like, I think we should re-record this song that I wrote for Against the Grain, and no one else was really on board, but he wanted it enough that they were like, Yeah, sure. I don't think this is a better version at all. I also don't think 21st Century Digital Boy is many people's favourite Bad Religion song. It's not. I think it's a worthwhile... Strangely, it's their most popular. Though. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a worthwhile inclusion into their, um, like, their All Ages compilation. Yeah, totally. It's, it's, totally. it's a totally fine single, but it's not... They have songs that are more interesting in terms of lyrics and composition, and they have songs that are far better as angry punk anthems that are complaining about the plight of modernity, which I guess is the crux of this song, is that a functioning person in the 21st century is distracted by noise and unable to connect properly, is I guess the crux of 21st century Digital Boy. But they have songs that do that better than this, but I still think it's a very, very good song. And this is not a, this version's not as good as the original, um, but they're kind of not, not, not that different. So yeah. This version's just a little bit Yeah, the choices are also small, that yeah. it's kind of like, why did you make that yeah. change? And you can tell even on the floor of the record, it's at the very end of the album, and it's not really meant to be there. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Like, I'm really excited that we get to talk about Bad Religion because I, I loved them for many years. And, and like, Suffer, No Control Against the Grain, like, they are some of the best punk albums. But, yeah, th- I mean, this is a great song. It's not, like, the best song. That's the thing. The thing is, like, you and I are looking at this from a, like, a discography point of view because yeah. we're so mm. intimately familiar with mm. virtually all of their material. So, like, I'm, I'm hearing this and I'm like, oh, well, it's not as good as the version that was four years earlier with this slight different vocal performance mm. and blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, oh, it's not as clever as some of the tracks from Suffer, or like it's not as good as Generator or No Control kind of thing. But like, it's still a very, very great song, and I'm stoked to see it here. And yeah, I, it's a welcome inclusion, and the fact that Bad Religion are unquestionably, in my mind, one of the finest punk acts of the 20th century. And I'm not, I can't really be moved on that. I love them that much, particularly when they're at their best. They're just incredible and intelligent and articulate, and. I've, I've, been, I've mentioned this numerous times before, and I'll be mentioning it again when we talk about pulp. But I love the songwriting point of view and perspective of the informed working class, and Bad Religion do that incredibly well. And so I'm always happy to hear them. And like, it's a smart, well composed punk rock, and it referenced King Crimson, so I'm going to love it, obviously. Yeah, it's pretty much it. Now, for someone who isn't me, uh, who uh, gr- uh, grew up on a. Uh, the uh, this version of 21st Century Digital Boy, uh, what are some of the key uh, differences? Um, it's so, pretty minor, to be honest. Yeah, the, the bit at the end, the particularly Kim Crimson um, reference, yes. um, Brett sings it in this version, Greg sings it in the old version. Oh, okay. like that, that's a little difference. Yeah, like, it's the, that's like, the biggest difference yeah. by far. Um, and it, like, there's a couple of really slight melody changes, like the, I can't believe it, uh, yeah. before it's just like, I can't believe it. Yeah. This that's, is, that's how like minute changes. Is it in a talking. different key? No, God, no. no, no. It's the old one is slightly faster, like marginally, yeah. right, right, like okay. half a beat, maybe, and like a little bit rougher because it was you know a punk record in 1990 as opposed to an Atlantic record in 1994. Sure, sure. It's but it's not different enough to the point where if you heard this for the first time on a Tuesday and then heard the other version for the first time on a Friday, you'd be like, it's a different version. You no just way. think it's the same yeah. song. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's a pretty good song. It's like a nice yeah. big chuggy punk rock song kind of thing. There's some great lines. There's a couple of lines that I like the yeah 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 yeah. I don't know. 
It's not. It's not great, but it's fine. We'll let it pass. Um, but yeah. the yeah 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 reminds me of uh, All I Want by The Offspring. Yeah, <laughs> oh, which was on Epitaph. Indeed, full circle. Yeah. Okay. I never got fully into Bad Religion or No Effects or Lagwagon or the Flatliners or any of these like sort of like uh, yeah like this era like Fat Records, Epitaph kind of skate punk bands like uh i think i was just a bit out of it like i've i've seen no effects twice and i like them enough i like bad religion what i've heard um the latest stuff hasn't gotten me as much as like the early stuff obviously but that christmas seems, songs that that seems to be the consensus uh, yeah they put out a, an album of christmas covers and it's like the worst it's so bad it's is like it, is it worse than twisted sisters Christmas album. No, what's or Bob what, Dylan's what's, Christmas album? What's the that? worst about it is that it's unremarkable. It's not. It's just them doing versions of Christmas songs. That's it. They're not doing fiercely biting, ironic versions of them or crazily genuine. You know what? We actually have a religious side to our music as well. They're just doing a bunch of Christmas songs. That's what's the crappiest thing about it. Yeah, it's it sounds shame. bad just because it's so blur. Yeah. I guess I have a lot to learn about this side of things, but uh, I'm, I'm always interested about uh, kind of the parallels between how uh, like Australian rock music was getting bought out by the major labels in the 90s, you know, with you like your you and my silver chair, Powderfinger, whoever the fuck else, Spiderbait. And meanwhile, over in the States in the 90s, uh, like punk rock and pop punk was getting bought up by the major labels so you know you had bad religion blink 182 green day like all this kind of stuff coming up around the same time i'm i'm and i'm just always interested at that uh, we had like with with grunge you know getting bought up by the major labels as well i i just find that fascinating how things will always come and go like it's 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 like that lcd sound system lyric about how uh everyone sold their guitars and bought turntables and then everyone sold their turntables and bought guitars like they the like guitars and synths just go in and out of fashion mm. you know like sometimes it's cool to be in a rock band sometimes it's the daggiest thing on earth you know sometimes it's cool to be in a punk rock band and it's commercially viable to do so sometimes you're just like what are you doing you're 35 and you have a blue mohawk you know? like, <laughs> uh so that side of things is contextually quite f- quite fascinating to me uh but as in terms of like being like a, a big crisp uh like pop oriented punk rock song I, I i have a lot of time for this like it's like it's super catchy and uh it's a lot of fun my favorite uh bad religion song is you uh, Terrific great song, song. Yeah. So good. <laughs> yeah good call. um so yeah that's kind of what i'm going for in in terms of their discography control I- I'm trying to remember. sorry. I'm trying to remember what album it's on. I think it's Control. Yeah, yeah. yeah. bunch. What do you got? First, Is this fresh for you? The first time I've ever heard a bad religion song. Oh, mm. ever? Yeah, definitely. And it's probably. Did you know who me... they were? No. Really? No, not, not really. I mean, I okay. knew. That they had were you a seen thing. me wearing a bad religion shirt ever? I'd seen you and several others people wearing mm. bad religion shirts. Wearing, um, wearing you your bad religion that? shirt. And did you think they were all just really big Frank Ocean fans? <laughs> <laughs> I recognize their importance, even if I didn't know it firsthand. And I knew the iconography as well. Um, it is a killer logo. Yeah, and I've seen that around. And I knew I knew to equate it to seen it tattooed religion. many many times. Many times, yeah, on on many a crusty punk's arm. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of makes sense that it, it missed me in a way because I, I I imagine that the time that you guys were kind of discovering it, you know, it would have been in high school, right? Of mm. course. Yeah, I just came into music in a different way and kind of bypassed that. And it, I guess if you didn't come into it at that time, it's not exactly something that you're necessarily going to be the most inclined to swing back around and 
and pick up because if you weren't there for it in a way or if you weren't necessarily inclined to the contemporaries um then I discovered music kind of differently. I just took a different path. Mm-hmm. Um, although the, the one in that I kind of have to it now is that in high school, I did go through a huge rise against phase and ah. rise against. And I have to say that I hear a lot of rise against in this, in this song in particular. And I can't again, like I don't know big, big time. Any, any yeah. sort of like nineties onwards political punk band is like hugely indebted to, especially like the few albums around the end of the eighties that bad religion put out like big time. So, like, that kind of does a bit of the legwork for me in terms of getting to the place where I feel like I should be when it comes to approaching the song, um, just by making that connection, I think. Especially in the whoa. Mm. Like, that, that's definitely a punk trope that I've heard before and feel very strongly towards. Like, it's, it, it, when I heard that in that track, I'm like, oh, cool. Like, I know what that is. And the chorus as well is very, very hard to not get behind. So, yeah, I enjoy the song a lot, even though it's, um, it's a relatively new listen for me. Cool. Great. Good to have you on board. Yeah. That brings us to the end of yet another episode of Hottest 100s and Thousands. Cheers for listening and cheers to FBI for having us up the punks. Uh, before we get out of here, we're going to talk about our favourites and our least favourites. And we're going to start, considering he feels constantly left out, <laughs> with Adam. Thanks, dude. You're welcome. Um, I'm going to actually go for Green Day on this one. But it is very, very close between that and Bad Religion. Yeah, right. Um, I, I think I just enjoy kind of what, what's being played with there. And, um, you know, the, the, I, I'm a bit of a fan of the Jewel song thing. and um, It's cool. I, yeah. It's it, like releasing that as a single, I think, is a really cool thing to do. Yeah, and I just think like 1995 and uh, the previous countdown as well has kind of just turned me on to early Green Day is kind of like <laughs> being, being pretty genius. So I'm just going to continue that trend. And oh. my least favorite... Oh. <laughs> this yeah. is tough. Um, maybe like straw people because I can barely remember it. I, I, you know, but I at least enjoyed critiquing severed heads. Yeah, I at least enjoyed picking out some things that were okay and <laughs> some things that were not. That was at least something I could do. Straw yeah. people was just kind of like a gentle breeze <laughs> with no scent. I hate to be a contrarian moose on the matter, but uh, uh, super <laughs> good season one reference. Yeah, thanks, fam. Oh, deep cut, <laughs> deep cuts. Uh, yeah, uh, super grass for my favorite uh, for this episode and least favorite. I'll probably have to give it to, to Straw People. Uh, I was really excited about like because I saw it was this bad religion song. I was like, you know what? I think there'll probably be another song in in the episode that I like more, and it will show like a huge amount of character growth. You know, to not pick the bad religion, but I'm picking the bad religion song because everything Fuck else yeah, in the episode are. was a bit like, oh, whatever. And straw people. Yeah, uh, bad religion for the favourite and uh, Supergrass for the least. Alrighty, we are rolling on out of here, but we will see you in the not too distant future to talk about the not so distant past. On behalf of Mr. Adam Buncher. Ciao. On behalf of Miss Andrew McDonald. That's a more, eh? Hey, hey, hey. And on behalf of Mr. Nathan Harrison. Oh, yeah. My name is David James Young. Keep music mimetic. Peace! (laughs) Okay. Okay! Was Janichi Masudo with Battle Music. 
Wow, what a jam. Yeah. How did this beat Viridian City music, though? Obviously, I like, I like this song. I have a lot of history with this song, but, like, it's definitely one of the more accessible pieces from Masuda's output, and that's that's what irks me more than anything else, because everybody talks about Masuda, and they're like, oh, yeah, like, yes, but he has other songs. So, like, partly I can't see this song for the trees because everybody always fucking memes this song so hard and talks about how great this song is all the time. You just, like, like being sad and listening to the Lavender Town theme, though. No, but that's a better but song, though. It's objectively a better song. It's, it's, so, right. much, there is, it's, it's so much it more interesting. Better, it's it's, it's, it's way more... Exactly. Yeah, but it's, it's not, like... It's not enjoyably creepy. It's just, it just freaks you out. That's what creepy is, Adam. <laughs> but I, I but I, I think you also have to think back. Like, it's very easy for us to look back on it now. But at the time, this was the song that was probably getting the most play. Yeah. yeah because of, of how many encounters you had. It's probably this, this one song, of the first yeah. ones you hear. You know, like, not the first legacy. one, obviously, but one of them. I guess my nostalgia goggles are on too hard here. Because I just, like, whenever I hear this, I just get transported back. To the long grass. It so. takes you back to when we were kids, you know? And we used to do that shit. Go out in the long grass and just pick a fight. Like, it was just <laughs> great time. Pick, just pick a fight with a bug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, our mom was so trusting in us that she'd let us go and see a creepy old guy completely who unsupervised. Not, who would stare at you and not know if you yeah. were a boy or a girl. Yeah. <laughs> and forget his own grandkid's name. Yeah. And, then, and then give you a rat to fight a fucking... <laughs> Cocoon whiz. <laughs> Wonderful. I'll do this in a sec. Smoke every day, weed every day. Smoke every day, weed every day. Smoke every day, weed every day. Smoke every day, weed every day.